church covers the whole world and Christ is the head of that church. And the gates of hell, we're told, will not prevail against the church. In other words, we win. The church wins through in the end. But also there is a local church. And we need to understand the workings of the local church and that we have been called, yes, to part of the universal church. You have brothers and sisters all over the world but we've been called to this church and to take responsibilities in this church, to grow in this church, to be discipled in this church and to be part of it. I gave out some sheets to you to say, say what ministries you're doing or what ministries you feel God is calling you to do in that when I spoke last time. And thank you for all of those that returned them to me. I'm compiling a sort of a list of everything and what I've discovered, there's at least 50 ministries that are undertaken in this church. 50 distinct ministries. It's a lot. And so together we need to find our place uh, to play our part that we are everything that God desires us to be. I've met with some folks already uh, since those forms have come back and had some conversations. I want to sit and talk to everyone. Uh, it's a big challenge. I appreciate that. Uh, but I think God will open the way to do that. You can always come and talk to me, you know. Uh, but if not, I might seek you out and come talk to you. Um, so, no. Um, we've... We live in what's called a consumer society. Uh, crudely, that is, uh, we, we pay into something expecting to get something out of it, or we pay out to get something. And if we're not happy with the service that we receive or what it is we've sought to purchase, we no longer go there, we go somewhere else. And so we seek to be serviced and satisfied somewhere else. I understand that. If you go to your local grocer shop and you're not happy with the service, you go somewhere else until you find one that satisfies your needs or gives you what you want. If we do that with the church, it is a terrible thing. Now, I'm not saying if you come to this church, you can't leave this church and go to another church. I'm not saying that. But we mustn't treat the church as a consumer. Like come on Sunday and say, oh, well, I didn't like the worship much today, or the speaking wasn't up to much, and the tea and coffee was cold. I think I'll go somewhere else. That must never enter our heads. Now, the worship was fantastic, and thank you for doing that. And last time you were here, I spoke on the introduction to the local church, so God's brought you back, Elvis, to get part of it. God might be saying something special to you, I don't know. Okay. We mustn't have a consumerist idea about church. If I'm not happy here, I'll just go somewhere else. No, no. Church is more important than that. Church is where God places you. Not where you've come to shop or be satisfied. 
But where God has placed you, and I'm not saying God wouldn't place you somewhere else. We have to work through that. Of course we do. I've moved to three different churches in my life. There's not many. Uh, and maybe you have had a number of churches, but you need to go when God says go, not because you think, oh, it doesn't meet my needs. It doesn't give me what I want. If we have a consumerist society for church, we play into the very hands of Satan. And Satan has one plan for the church to destroy it. Jesus said very clearly, I will build my church and the gates of hell, the strategy of Satan, will not destroy it or overcome it. So we know what Satan's strategy is. He would love to close every church if he could down. And in different cultures and different societies and different places around the world, he uses a different strategy to make the people of God ineffective, not together, divided. Because we know that a house that is divided will fall. And so he has different strategies. Sometimes he brings politics into it, governments, oppressive governments, Sometimes he causes us to be lethargic or indifferent or he overpowers us with so much stuff we can't even find time to function properly in the church. He is smart. He has been against the people of God from the very beginning, thousands of years, and against the church for 2,000 years. We studied together through the book of Hebrews and we looked at the warnings that were there. Remember, warning to pay attention, not to drift. Warnings against unbelief. Warnings against falling away. Different warnings that we read about in God's word. In the midst of all this, there's three verses I want to focus you on this morning. They are a warning, but they're more than this. They remind us of what the church is really all about. The primary purpose of the local church. And I believe how we should think about it. The verses I want to read to you are found in Hebrews 10. Now, I've never preached on this, and I've never heard anyone else preach on these verses, unless I wasn't paying attention at the time. I can't remember. But I've heard it quoted over and over and over again through my life. We mustn't neglect, in the authorised, it says, meeting together as Christians. We must not neglect it. It doesn't use that same word here in the NIV. But let's read these verses together. It's from Hebrews 10, verses 23 to 25. It says, Let us hold unswervingly, to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another, and all the more, as you see the day approaching. I want you to ask yourself this question. Why are you here this morning? 
Why have you come to the house of God? Why have you come to church? This isn't the sum total of the church. The activities of all that we do is the church. When we go abroad, we are the church. Throughout the week, we are the church. Why do you come to this Sunday service of the church? Why? I was brought up going to church. I have been to church probably every Sunday, bar a few, for the entire entirety of my life. Thousands and thousands of times. I'm not going to stop. In the same way, I probably won't stop drinking tea. I won't stop. I've been doing it all my life. I'll do it right to the end. I will go to church until the day I die because I've done it all. So you might say, well, I go to church because I was brought up to go to church. That's what we did. We went to church. We were a Christian family. We went to church. You might say, well, it's what Christians do, isn't it? They go to church. You might say, I go to church because I know it is the right thing to do. I don't always enjoy it, but I know it's the right thing to do, and as a Christian, I want to do that thing. You might say, well, I go to church because I enjoy corporate worship. I love it when we all get together and we sing, and it's, it's exciting. It lifts my soul. I come to church because I like the teaching. I want to find out more from God's Word. I want to discover about this Christian life. I want to understand God better. I love to hear the teaching. You might say, and I mentioned it before, there's a force that draws me. It's like a cohesive force that sucks us. We get up every Sunday morning thinking, oh, and then we have to go. It's as though a magnet sucks us to the centre of this thing called church. Sometimes people leave for extended periods of time only to feel this pull back to the church. You might say, I want to be part of a group of people and have friendships and relate to people and I'm not comfortable doing anything out there in the world so I'll meet together and build some friendships here in the church. Now they're all good, truthful answers. Every one of them's good. This scripture gives us three more serious reasons why you're here. And we want to examine them this morning. I think they go to the very heart of why you're here this morning. Now, you might not realize why. You might have had these other superficial reasons, but God says, no, the reason you're here is of more important issues than those I've listed. It says in the passage that we read in Hebrews 10 and 23 about as the day approaches, well, what day is this? Um, have we got that verse there? As the day. See, this day is a capital D. That means there's a special day. It isn't just a day. It is the day approaches. The day, I suggest to you, is the day that Jesus Christ returns. The day of the judgment the day that Christ is coming. So as the day approaches that special day, Satan's hatred for the church intensifies. 
Now you could say the day of the Lord was the last 2,000 years. From day one, Satan has been undermining the church to destroy the church. Why? Satan hates God. But he cannot touch God. So he touches what God loves. And God loves more than anything else in this world, the church of Jesus Christ. He sent his son to die for the church. He paid the highest price that could be paid for you to sit here and be a part of the church this morning. He paid with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. No richer substance has ever been on this planet. And you were purchased to be part of the church. Satan hates you. And he wants to destroy you and drag you down and make your life a terrible testimony and make you totally ineffective and then rub God's nose in it of what a good job he's done in destroying his church. Now, what does that make you feel? To me, that's fighting talk, but I am a bit of a fighter. I get that. It makes me go, no, he's not going to win. I am going to be different. If that's how other churches are, ineffective, inappropriate, it's not going to be what happens in the church that I'm a part of. Satan's not going to win. And all the more, as you see the day approaching, it says, in other words, as you get closer to the coming of Christ, all the more, the pressure is going to come on more and more to destroy the church or make it totally ineffective. The church in the UK is being demolished. Do you realise? Oh, it's subtle. Satan's good at this stuff. In the 70s, something like 10 million people attended church every Sunday. 10 million. Today, something between 5 and 6 million attend church in those 40 years. Of those, of those 5 million, if it wasn't for the ethnic people that have come and lived in our land, we would be another million and a half short. So our church would be as small if it wasn't for those that have come to our land and boosted the figures who attend church. Something like three million people. He's clever, isn't he? What are people doing this morning? Why aren't they in church? How come they've lost connection with the head? How come they don't even see, recognize, understand the Godhead at all? Because he's so good. The church has become so secular in his thinking. It entertains unscriptural thinking and behavior. I could rant on now about same-sex marriages and all that sort of stuff that we, we have to read about. I want to scream, don't you? I want to say, what on earth has that got to do with the church of Jesus Christ? But that's what people see. That's what people hear. I was sort of troubled in the Olympics. Oh, this is my wife. No, but you're a woman. No, she's my wife. 
and this fella living with that fella, and, and they're, it's like, they're great sports people, but I feel uncomfortable in my soul. I don't hate them. I'm not angry towards them. I'm not even judging them. We cannot judge the world. We can only judge the church. We have every right to make judgments in the church and say, this is wrong in the church. The world does not know. It does what it does. In some ways, it does what it likes. And we're not judging them. We're loving the people. And we know that some of their choices and decisions are going to lead to a very painful life. That has crept into our church. It is only in unity we stand. Christ has prophesied, if we are not united as a body, in belief and function, we will fall as a church. Thousands and thousands of churches through history have collapsed because those who go don't fully understand the function, the meaning, the purpose of the local church and how important it is to the whole strategy of God in the world. It says here, as Christians, we live with a hope and he says, careful, don't swerve around when it comes to the hope. Be steadfast. Keep the hope clear. Keep the hope simple in front of you, unswervingly keeping to it. What is that hope? It is this, that Jesus is coming back. You missed the opportunity. Let me try it again. <laughs> Jesus is coming back. Amen. 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 Now, there's a lot of ethnic Christians here. I expect something a bit more from you, okay? Okay. The white Brits, I understand that. But come on, if you've come from foreign parts, you're schooled in this. Okay. Jesus is returning. Amen. That's it. Do you have a clear, clear picture of that? Do you see that is what this is all about? And we need to keep going steady and forward and believing and expecting and being excited about the fact that Jesus is coming. If you're not excited about the fact that Jesus is returning, there is a big question mark over your Christianity. If it doesn't matter, if you never give it a thought, there is some serious gaps in your theology. Serious. It is the thing that keeps us going. And the devil wants to take us out, separate us, divide us, cause us to be alone, and we'll lose sight of the vision. We'll get sucked into other things that become more exciting than the fact that Jesus Christ is coming back. If the devil can separate you, he can isolate you and defeat you. That's it. We are to love the Lord our God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength. Law number one. Law number two. We are to love our neighbours as we love ourselves. He says, listen, do you want to remain unswerving? Do you want this hope to be certain? You have to make sure your relationship with God 
is perfect, unhindered. You keep the channels open. And the second law is that you live in harmony and relationship with your brothers and sisters first in the church. If you lose contact with the church, you lose contact with God. This isn't something we turn up to do and it suits us. It is far more important than that. Christ died to establish the church. And it's the church that keeps us in relationship with God through our relationship with one another. It is so vital and so important. The third thing, God has drawn us into a church as a believer. And when you were saved and received Christ and the Spirit of God came into you, God placed a gift inside you. A gift that was part of God himself. He graced you with a gift. Every one of you this morning has a gift from God resident on the inside of you. And the exercising of that gift in the local church keeps the church in the place it's supposed to be. We're encouraged to continue in love and good deeds. It doesn't say good works. Note that. Authorized is right. Good deeds. It's all about works. It's all about doing things so you win favor with God. We are encouraged to continue in love and good deeds. You have a gift inside you that I desperately need if I am to continue loving and doing good deeds. I'm going to say that again, because you probably don't believe it. Inside you, there is a gift. That gift must be demonstrated in this church. That gift demonstrated enables me to keep loving and doing good deeds. You say, hmm, is that true? Of course it is. Of course it is. Imagine that all of you did nothing. Imagine, that's not true, that's far from the truth. Imagine that you did nothing. I turned up here every Sunday, I preached my socks off to you. I gave it everything I've got. And you walked and say, thank you very much, and then came back next week for more. There was nothing coming towards me. There was no ministry coming to me. I tell you something, I would give up. Because God has designed it so we are dependent upon another. I need you. I need you. I can't do this on my own. There are definite things I am totally useless at and I embrace the fact that I am so poor at doing it, it makes me need, need others to support me and help me in doing it. I'm so glad I can't play an instrument. I'm so glad I can't sing. I'm so glad I can't use the computer. I'm so glad, I'm so glad about all the stuff I can't do because God has graced me with the ability not to do it. I tell you, 
I know what giftings I have. It's mostly to do with my mouth. I understand that, okay? If you need mercy because you're going through a terrible time, I am not the best person to call. You say, oh, but you're my pastor. What has that got to do with anything? You need to find people with the gift of mercy so when you go, oh, my life is falling apart, they come alongside you and pour mercy so much over you, you're embarrassed. Me, I'll miss it by a mile. I sat with June in hospital. Now, I'm not proud of this, but I know my giftings. I sat there and I thought, Philip, you are hopeless at this. Oh, but you're the pastor. You should be good at this. I'm not. You who have the gift of mercy, you should have been in that hospital, not me. But you say, Philip, you're paid to do it. No, I'm not. You release me to exercise the giftings that I have. I can't do them all. I don't want to do them all. Now, if you ring me up, I'll come visit you and I'll pray for you. But you won't get gallons of mercy poured over you, which you might need. Do you get it? Now, some of you are gifted with mercy, but you're not moving because you don't even realize you're gifted with mercy. Meeting together, spurring each other on through the gift he has placed in us will do three things. It will help us hold unswervingly to the hope we have. Your giftings helps this church keep on track. It helps us continue in love and good works. And it helps us be encouraged as the days get worse. Do you think they're getting worse? I do. I mean, I'm not talking about your own personal situation, whether you have a job, how much money you have, how comfortable you are, what nice holidays. I want you to look at the... This is like being in foreign places where your notes... <laughs> your notes drift. It is so subtle. The church becomes secular. It drifts away from the Word of God. You know, I sometimes have conversations with Daphne and she says, are we wrong? Are we wrong? What is causing her about such clear issues, so clear 20 years ago to say today, are we wrong? I see so many other people saying or doing other things in the church. I said, Daphne, you need to live with your own conscience. I don't care what the church says. It's what God has placed in your heart and live according to your conscience. Some other Christian people do weird stuff. I live according to how I understand the word of God and the conscience and the work of the spirit within my life. I want to nail something this morning. That means I'm going to get nasty, okay? You understand that? Okay. Don't run out on me. I'm going, to nail, I'm going to nail something because I tell you, I don't want to be preaching this in two years, five years, ten years. I haven't got enough time. Now, you've heard everything I'm going to say before, but I haven't seen the response from everyone 
You go, you're expecting a bit much. I am. If you have the spirit of Christ in you, I'm expecting it from you. Definitely, because this is what God wants. I want to draw your attention to two further passages of Scripture. The first is in 1 Peter 4, verses 10 and 11. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. Listen what it says here. And this refers to you. Each one of you, that's you, that's me. Say, that's me. That's me. That's me. Each one of you should use whatever gift he, that is God, has given, has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Every one of you has a gift from God, empowered by God, which means it's supernatural and it is a manifestation of the grace of God. God has many facets and you have been given one of them placed deep within your heart that you are to release primarily primarily to the body of Christ. Even if it's evangelism, you have a gift first to the body of Christ to inspire others in this whole ministry. This grace gifting of God enables us to worship and to serve. Notice Peter has two categories. He talks about speaking and serving. Jesus, it says in the book of Acts, this is a record of everything he did and said. Our lives are full of doing and saying. The grace giftings that are on you might just have more to do with doing than saying. You only need enough mouths in the church. Understand? If we all had a mouth, the place would be filled with hot air and nothing else. We need more servers than speakers. But there are both ministries that are important. In this way, every member of the church may receive his or her own special manifestation and may then have something to minister in turn to all the others. Do you realise this? You have a gifting, a grace in your life that we need. And you need to exercise that, otherwise we're impoverished as a result of it. That's it. You say, I don't see any of this in the church. Well, it's funny that you notice that. Could that be that God has graced you with that gift? And that's the very thing that you should be doing? You ever thought about that? How come you noticed it? You didn't notice all the other things that weren't going on here. So what you're saying is not here is because God might be saying to you, you need to be the one doing that. And the truth is, we will either get somebody else to do it that isn't gifted and graced by God, or I'll do it, this could be terrible, 
or you can do it, which means the grace of God is operating through your life. And we all go, oh, isn't it wonderful when so-and-so does this, or so-and-so does that, or so-and-so does the other? Because you notice the grace of God operating in their lives. Every member of the church is included and no one needs to be left out with a gift or a ministry. It says, each one of you should use whatever gift he has received. Each one of you. It also says, if anyone speaks, if anyone serves, it's the one, anyone. There's no place in this church for full-time professional ministry. What I mean by that is I'm very grateful that you give me a salary to release me to do the job. But you do not release me to do everything so you can sit and be passive and inactive. My job is to get you to do the work. Amen? Yeah, you know that verse, don't you, in Ephesians? My job is not to do it. So what am I doing painting, decorating, setting the chairs up for? What am I doing it for? Why am I doing it? Oh, you're getting nasty now, Phil. No, I won't be nasty. I'll move on. I'll move on. So you go, what is, what is it that I could do? What can I take part in? I must go to Philip and say, Philip, I can do this. You shouldn't have to do that. Or someone who hasn't been graced by God should do that. I should do that because I can do that well. I do this every day. I love to do this. Some people love gardening. Can you believe it? Where's Linda? Bless her. Okay, how can you love it, Linda? I don't get that. I don't get that one bit. Some people love painting. Some people love doing other stuff. It's like, ah, how do you do that? Because God has graced you. I say, you've got a job because God graced you with a, a strength, an ability. Each member is included in God's program of supernatural ministry in the church. Do you know it's supernatural if God graces it into your life? How can weeding be supernatural? Because it is graced by God. How can making tea be supernatural? Some of you should not make tea. Some of you should not go behind that counter because you're poisoning us and killing us. Are you with me? Some of you can set up chairs straight. Others put them all wonky. Don't set them up if they're always wonky. Get out of there. It's common sense, isn't it? It's common sense. Romans, Paul says this. Peter's already said it. Paul's going to say the same thing. In Romans 12, 6 and 8, we have different gifts. We have different gifts according to the grace of given us. So it's by God's grace we do it. If a man's gift is prophesying, let him use it to the proportion of his faith. If it's serving, let him serve. If it's teaching, let him teach. If it's encouraging, let him encourage. If it's contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it's leadership, let him govern diligently. And if it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. These are general groups. I believe everything is included. See, serving covers a hundred ministries. Encouragement covers dozens of ministries. Leadership covers all leadership. T 
teaching covers a whole host of teaching. Children in the creche, young people, mothers, fathers, elderly, all are teachers of a different sphere. Not everyone has a pulpit ministry, I get that. People who have pulpit ministries, we hope, release them on the pulpit. Other people have different areas to do teaching. You have a gift, gifted to you by God, and you exercise that gift not in your own strength, but in his strength by the Spirit and in faith. The wonderful thing about the giftings of God is they must be exercised in faith. Maybe you face a situation and you know you should be doing it and you say, oh God, I can't do this. You need faith then to minister to your heart so you can move forward. You are unique and the gifting in you might be found in another person but it flows through your personality. No one leads a church like me in the whole of the planet of this earth. No one does it like me. Praise God, he says. But he stayed, didn't he? So far. Thanks, Dad. See, whatever gift God has placed within you, you do it. No two Sunday school teachers are the same. No, we have a lovely team of people that serve in the cafe. They are all different. They're all doing the same thing, but they all have their different strengths and they come together as a team. If you want something sorted out, you might call Nikki. If you want something like a very patient person who can just be there sitting all day, you might call Gwen, you might call Gloria to do this, or you might call Esther to do that, or I don't want to leave anyone out. You might call Margaret, and I've left you out. I'm so sorry if I leave anyone out. But it's as you come together, you go, well, you're all different, but you're all doing the same thing, but in your own way, you are unique. No one, no one preaches like me. Say, thank goodness. No one preaches like Dave. No one preaches the same. They have a gift, but it comes differently through the personality, through their, their background, through whatever it is. With these seven groups, they're the same as what Peter said. There are speaking gifts and serving gifts. Speaking gifts of prophecy and teaching. And then serving gifts of serving, encouraging, contributing to the needs, leading and showing mercy. I'm going to challenge you now. This is the bit you really don't want to hear. Number one, number one. With which gift has God graced you? All gifts. Which gift? It should be evident to all. You understand? It should be evident to all. I'm going to ask you, what gift has God graced you with? How are you ex exercising that gift at hope? How are you doing it? Now, you say, well, I haven't been a Christian long. Um, I haven't been in this church long. Um, I'm only young. Uh, I'm old. I'm infirmed. I've got a bad leg. I'm a bit thick. I don't understand. There are no excuses. Because the manifest graces of God, there's a perfect gift 
that he's placed within you. So when I meet you, I will say, what is the gifting that God has placed within you? And why aren't we seeing it at hope? You go, that's a bit harsh. Well, think about it. And when you know what that gift is, and you should know, then start doing it. Start doing it so everyone can say, I know what Jimmy does, I know what Sarah does, I know what Paul does, I know what Sriani does, I know what they do. And if they weren't here, we would be deficient as a church. We will not be the full package that God wants us to be. We'll probably never have all the manifestations of God. There are too many of them. But God has enough to give each one of us one. We are a hundred people in this church. And one person is not exercising their gift. We are 98% efficient. If 10, we are only 90% efficient. If 50 people in this church are not exercising their gift, we're 50% efficient as a church. You say, that's just statistics. But it bears out somewhat. Now, some people cover multiple ministries. They're not supposed to. Because those people are exhaustive. And their love tank and their good deed tank, it gets empty because they find themselves filling the gap, stepping in without the grace of God on their lives to make it work. It's not on. It's not on. You still love me? Good, okay. I'm going to pray for you now. Heavenly Father, I want to pray that if there's anyone in this fellowship, Hope Community Church, that does not understand or realize what you have graced them with to give into this ministry, will you please reveal it to them? You said in your word, if we ask, you will give to us. If we come before you and we seriously want to know, you'll never hold anything back from us. And Father, I pray that as these people realize, they will create a space in their life that they might fulfill that ministry. If it's once a month or once a week or every day, whatever it is you've called them to, however much they need to give themselves, that we can be the people that you plan us to be. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen, Amen, God. God bless you.